Hello and welcome to Say Hi to the Future, Ingenious Thinkers, a podcast aimed at highlighting the human side of ingenuity. My name is Ken Tenser, curator of Say Hi to the Future, helping leaders think differently in the face of uncertainty and ambiguity. Better thinking, better outcomes. With me today is Dan Kershaw, Executive Director at Furniture Bank, a registered charity and social enterprise that offers a furniture removal and pickup service. Like this video if you enjoy our show and subscribe to our channel. Leave us a comment with who we should interview next. Thank you for tuning in and I hope you enjoy the show. Dan Kershaw, Executive Director of Furniture Bank, welcome to Say Hi to the Future. Thanks for having me, Ken. So, Dan, I had the pleasure of hearing you speak um, just a couple of weeks ago, I guess now, at the University of Toronto in Mississauga. And I, I was just so moved by your presentation, not just on the furniture bank, but your approach to um, charities, not-for-profits in general. I mean, you just seem to take a, a different lens and, and, and may I say maybe a, some of the for-profit um, kind of view, but applying it to the not-for-profit. And I, I'd love to talk about that before we get into Furniture Bank, because you, you've been recognized as an expert in charity-powered innovation and use of technology. And those are just words that you don't hear a lot together. No, no, they aren't. No, and, uh, you know, 10 years ago, I was in the for-profit space. Uh, I was... Um, yeah, I, I've had a computer when I was like six. And, you know, for those you, you probably can't see, uh, I used to have a lot of hair. I used to have very bright red hair, but uh, I had old computers um, and I got pulled after a degree in environmental studies. I got pulled into doing an MBA and I ended up in telecom. And then that pulled me into the startup world. And I spent 15 plus years in startups uh, building software, building new, uh, at the time, this new thing called the internet was like new. Uh, so I worked with a That's lot of shareholders. Well, though, it? Yeah, I did. Well, I, <laughs> you know, I, as I say, I made a lot of shareholders really rich and I got to see what uh, business for bad looks like where shareholders are doing things for their own benefit without thinking of those around them or the community they work in. I, I, I summarizing it like I had full insight at the time, but I'm looking back. Um, and serendipity struck and I got, I had a phone call from a recruiter. So you ever thought of running a charity? And I said some very inappropriate words at the time, but uh, the recruiter who knew me and knew sort of how I'm wired says, you really should look at it. You know, they had a, they have a social enterprise. First time I'd heard that word. Uh, they uh, were using Salesforce to run the charity. I knew Salesforce. So I, I took a flyer and I went for a tour and um, here I am 10 years later. Uh, so, uh, and so I come with, well, what would you do in a startup? What would you do in a business as uh, a posture is probably a good phrase. And, you know, it's, it's really important for the listeners to understand a for-profit and a non-profit is just a legal form. Just it. That's it. Mm -hmm. Uh, for-profits and non-profits can have the exact same culture. They can have the exact same tools. They can have the exact same decision-making. But what I discovered over 10 years is that's not how the two sectors work. And um, 
the, the presentation I was giving was the first time I've really uh, unpacked and presented a narrative that I've shared with some of my colleagues in the social profit uh, sector that, you know, the, there was this fellow we all know, uh, Steve Jobs, um, who has this famous quote, it's more fun being a pirate than joining the Navy. And that has always resonated with me um, that much of the sector, and I'm sure the same applies in business, that many organizations, irrespective of the legal format, uh, follow the Navy way. Hierarchy, rules, tradition, silos, waiting to be told what to do. And most staff at those locations are there for the paycheck. And, you know, we're, we're living in a world today, which is complex. It's too complex. I was there to talk to grad students about sustainability. Sustainability is three things. It's environmental sustainability. We all know, uh, it's social sustainability and it's economic sustainability. And those three things are rarely talked about at the same time. And you layer in this weird world of hyper volatility, hyper uncertainty, hyper complexity, hyper ambiguity. They call it VUCA, they being business professionals. So we have this, this moment where whether I'm talking to staff or my peers, or in the case of where we met, uh, grad students, you had 400 grad students who they're all going to leave that class and they're all going to be, what do I do with my life? Where do I search for a career with meaning? Cause we all want one. And it was an opportunity to help. Uh, I hope just a few realize that you have to be intentional, but there are lots of organizations out there that do live, eat, breathe the idea we I'm calling it being a social prophet who is, you know, very focused on being audacious about making the world better, not the shareholders better, but the world better, the community better. Um, and this, this is the first time I've tried it on and I, I got some good feedback on how to fine tune the message because it's nuanced, uh, but a lot of the principles you would find, you know, this pirate Navy metaphor took over Silicon Valley in the early days. You can go, go find uh, groups that are pirates. They actually, they say are. So a lot of it is, I think that kind of mindset is needed in the social sector more than ever, because the nature of the problems that we're all trying to grapple with are just getting more and more complex. Um, in part, the other quote I, I did during the presentation is Einstein, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result, both businesses. And so, and social purpose organizations are, are still for the most part doing the same thing over and over again. Uh, and that was my call to the students was is it's on you to pick organizations that want to actually change the world, not just the, the rainbow washing that, uh, many organizations are, are sharing that we're doing a little bit, you know, buy our product, buy our service, make our donation. Right. So, so as you tell that story and, and you talk about students and, and we were both there, you know, in different, for different reasons, but, but, but both for sustainability opportunities and, 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 and again, some of this, 
people will see us. Some it's Apple and Spotify. When I went to university, there was, and that was business school and my master's in finance. And I, I, I got to say, there were no courses, there were no lectures, there were no presentations on doing good for the world. Like, yep. <laughs> it, it didn't exist within it. And so I, I got to say, I'm, I'm super um, excited um, that this exists today. And I'm not saying it's perfect. I'm not saying there isn't that, that you know, the rainbow washer or, or however we describe what's being done by some businesses. But the fact that our kids can work for not-for-profits or in our case of being there, for profits that, that truly are investing a lot of time and money yep. in making their businesses socially conscious. So, yeah, th to me, there's a hell of a bright spot. Yeah, no, and it, it was the. I'm excited because it, there's actually a discussion going on at schools around the world that it's more than um, the tokenism of doing good or the veneer. I, I like colorful language. Um, we need organizations like Patagonia that's not just doing a little thing, but they're mm -hmm. doing big things that, you know, as a boulder in a pond have waves of, of change that affect other uh, organizations. And I think uh, I see lots of students come through, uh, you know, come and uh, look for work at Furniture Bank. Sorry, I have to turn off all of these instant messaging, instant communication devices. Um, and I want to make sure that students, and I guess I, I, I love students because they still have a flexible mindset. They may not have the growth mindset that you need to have to be a pirate, but they have a flexible mindset. And I want, uh, I didn't touch on it so much during the presentation, but I also want to avoid the heropreneurship that I also see that students get into doing something. I'm going to change the world. But when you, if you had a psychologist, really, why are you doing what you're doing? It's because they, they want to feel good because there's lots. Canada is interesting. It's very hard to create a charity in Canada, which is fine. In the States, it's really, really easy. To the point where there's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of charities that are just spun up by a student who wants to do good. And then it's left to the side. So numerically, the number of charities between the two countries are different. So we're, we have a, an interesting ecosystem where students can be very intentional, get the training, the networking, so that they can pick a B Corp or a for profit or as nonprofit legal form, uh, and know that where they put their energy and their talents are actually going to make a re real, immeasurable, transparent uh, difference to the world. And I, those are, you know, areas that I'm interested in. Is this conversation around ESG, environmentals, so, uh, social and governance uh, reporting that many businesses have to do? Because uh, it's a risk that there'll be a lot of confusion in the market. Uh, so I spent a lot of my day job trying to push the impact measurement side of things so that that we all 
you know, when you donate to Furniture Bank, when you hire our social enterprise, or when a business works with us, they can have real transparency on the impact that their dollars and their donations have. And I think that's important, not just for charities, but to be extended that we as consumers can very clearly see the impact that businesses have on, on the community and the environment and society in general. So, so you mentioned impact measurement. Is, is that a specific measurement or is that something that is, is created? Are there guidelines? Yeah. So, um, when I came into this job, um, I, I was a quant guy, still am. Um, you know, big data, Excel, statistics, all that was fun. Um, You're exciting. <laughs> yeah, I, I, for kicks, I taught college students the introductory to statistics. That's how demented I, I am, or at least people have told me. Um, but when I arrived at Furniture Bank, what I didn't realize at the time is we were uh, in a fiscal crisis. It, I didn't bother looking at the financial statements when I took the job. And um, and I was days into, maybe it was two weeks into learning what this social sector is. Somebody had lined up a meeting uh, with a funder and I met a foundation and I explained everything that we had and, and they were nodding and they were very vigorous about this is a really uh, you know, social purpose organization, social enterprise power, da, 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 all that stuff. And then they turned to me and said, well, uh, so what is the return on dignity for providing a child a bed? Now, we all know wow. it, it is fundamentally wrong for a child to sleep on the floor. Mm -hmm. and nobody argues that. But they wanted the equivalence of an ROI, a value, yeah. which was my first exposure to impact measurement. Fast forward 10 years. Um, there are many ways of measuring impact. Um, so what I describe is is the way that makes sense to Furniture Bank, but there are many ways. I'm, uh, I also sit on the board of the Common Approach to Impact uh, Measurement here in Canada um, because there are ways that an environmental charity and a social charity uh, can all measure the impact in a way that makes sense to themselves. So in our case, uh, we use a methodology called social return on investment. It's an international standard. And it, it it's sort of playing back to that origin story. For all stakeholders that we influence, so that may be you as a donor, that may be Sonia as a volunteer, that may be uh, the families that we directly support getting the beds and things they need for their housing, maybe taxpayers, it may be uh, government uh, budgets, for the landfill uh, diversion that we do. Um, we work with international proxies and, and economic ones and arrive essentially at an ROI that layers up to for every dollar that is invested in Furniture Bank, there is a return back to society, community, and the environment of X dollars. Um, it's never perfect. This is a, a marathon metaphor where you're always trying to improve it to be more uh, precise. But I come back to the sustainability having to do it in such a way that the organization can maintain it day in, day out, month in, month out, year over year. 
to help guide their decision making on how do they improve their programs. Dan, thank you for that, because I, I did not know about that uh, form of return. And um, I, I'm. Yeah, it's Google very... Social Value International. They've been doing it for a very long time, far, far longer than ESG has been ESGing. Okay. Um, and anybody technically could do it. Uh, but we find it, uh, it works for Furniture Bank because we have everything sitting in Salesforce. It, it, uh, it's very uh, aligned with our oper operating model. Right. So let's go back to, um, you know, when you mentioned Furniture Bank, um, we, we know what your role is there. And you, you let's go back to the 10 years ago when that recruiter mm. contacted you and you said you, went for a walk around, if you will, and you decided um, to join Furniture Bank. Tell us about that, because I mean, as, as you described, it was quite a leap from the for-profit to the- Yeah, and, and I think uh, with the hind benefit of hindsight, I think I was having my uh, Navy pirate, I've always been a pirate, but I'm a polite pirate. Um, and I'd always- Canadian. Uh, yeah, Canadian. The Canadian and, and it was really, you know, I was fortunate to have a professional coaching at the time. And we, we had agreed that, you know, Dan, you're wired to do good. You, you know, can you say I need help with X? I'll be like, sure, I'll help. I've mm -hmm. always been that way. Um, and when this came up, it was very much aligned up with my marketing background, my business background, my analytics background my environmental studies background, like it was tailor-made for me. And there was a number of serendipitous moments, like leaving my coach's apartment in downtown Toronto in a furniture bank truck loading up at the duplex next to me. Many, many moments of serendipity that um, that reinforced that, yeah, mm. this, this is actually the next career move. Up until that point, I worked for shareholders. I would do something, I would make it happen. Job was done. I'd move on one year, two year, three year. My resume looked like you know just jumpy, jumpy, jumpy. Um, yeah, ten years now, which is uh, surprising. But we were able to bring a lot of the ideas of you know test, pilot, measure, learn, pivot. Um, most of my staff have never been in startups. Uh, they wouldn't, you know, if they take them to, a, you know, read the lean startup book, they were like, Hey, we kind of do that kind is the important word. We're not building software. We're helping every day. We see up to 20 families and we are you know, capturing all of this, uh, community excess. And I think that's what lights me up is that you, you know, furniture and home goods is a category is one of the largest waste streams that we have. Most furniture, when you look around your house, 99% of what you see will end up in landfill if you were not intentional, but making sure that it gets to reuse organizations. So it, it's, we have this, on the one hand, this furniture waste crisis with, I think it was 12 million tons uh, in the US uh, going to landfill. From a carbon environmental perspective, that is an immense amount of, if your carbon, you know, carbon is your measurement of, of impact, 
is a tremendous amount of, of wasted uh, carbon. But when I started uh, at this charity in a startup, you were like, how big is your addressable market? Now I said, well, I know who we're helping. We helped about 10 families a day, but how many families want to come? How many families right. need us? Short version, we did the survey. Um, normally in a, in a, we would help just a little over 2000 families in a given year. Um, at the time that survey came back and said, if you had the space, if you had the furniture, if, if, and if there are 25,000 families who would come needing those goods, otherwise they are existing on floors, sleeping on floors, eating on floors, doing schoolwork on floors, not inviting anybody into their home, social isolation and a cascade of very bad mental and physical issues that come from this type of poverty behind mm -hmm. a closed door. So for me, it was, this is like, this is a logistical issue. Hmm. Right. There's all this furniture that's being destroyed by junkers and businesses every day as a perfectly normal part of their business processes. All we have to do is just pivot their behavior. So they spend the money that they're spending on destroying goods. They spend that money with reuse organizations. Because in the case of Furniture Bank here, our cycle time is 72 hours. And what that means for your listeners is if I come to your home for your sofa today, Ken, it's back at Furniture Bank later today. It's selected tomorrow and it's in a new home the following day. That's a 72 hour cycle time. Now, when we get businesses in, they're like, no, that's not possible. 72 hour cycle time is very hard to achieve and we've achieved it. But the downside is we're always 72 hours away from having nothing to give to families who need it because our need is year round all the time. Let's just, let's just double click a little bit on that, that cycle, because so you go into, you pick up furniture, you warehouse it and within, well, and, and the next day, essentially yeah. it's going out to another family. Um, let's just start yeah. where it comes from. Cause you mentioned something really interesting when you're talking, I, I, as I mentioned, I had been um, a donor to, or I provided yes. furniture, yeah. furniture to furniture bank. And I thought things were just coming from homes, but there, there's an element of, of companies or corporations donating as well. Yeah. So we, Furniture Bank back in 2010, sort of embraced this social enterprise idea, this model. So I don't know how much you cover social enterprises on this podcast, but the, the principle behind it is essentially it's a business where the outcomes are have a social and environmental objective. So in our case, as I said in the in the presentation is, you know, show of hands, how many people like moving furniture? And of course, the students, well, they, none of them put their hands up because they're embarrassed, but nobody likes moving furniture. So mm -hmm. 2010, Furniture Bank started a social enterprise offering a socially and environmentally responsible furniture and home good removal service. So we would charge you, Ken, a market rate to remove your sofa and dining room table and everything else you need. We would give you a tax receipt for the donated goods, bring it back into the organization, et cetera, et cetera. And in the last, uh, you know, uh, four, four years or so, we serendipity again, we got uh, the right connection with IKEA. What IKEA discussed, the problem they had was we IKEA have a generous return policy. 
So, Ken, in the good old days, if you went and bought an Ikea mattress and you didn't like it, too hard, too soft, doesn't matter, and you returned it, they can't resell it. And it would go into a process to be destroyed. Now, I use the word destroyed because recycling sounds nice. Mm -hmm. But destruction is destruction. A perfectly good mattress was destroyed. Now, we uh, started doing a pilot because we were like, we desperately need mattresses. Our ability to help more families is always a function of how many beds we can provide. Uh, so we started small, lean startup, small pilot in a Tobacco store around the corner. Uh, and we came one day a week type of thing, measure, you know, meet, fine tune it. Then the other stores heard about it. And what has snowballed, I'm, I'm taking four years of very active and intensive work between Ikea Canada and Furniture Bank. Um, and now Furniture Bank, we're like days, weeks away from being Canada's first highway certified uh, charity social enterprise, which is code for, uh, from Ikea's perspective, we could work for any Ikea location and be allowed to do so. So a big, big uh, uh, win for us. So now Ikea has solved our mattress problem. So we now have every day around the greater Toronto area, our trucks are going to four stores and sweeping not just mattresses, but linens and other items that still are good for reuse. We struck on the reality that the, their problem was our solution. Right. And ours, you know, our problem was their solution. So there's this symbiotic way, but it is an economic way as well. They, they have an embedded history of understanding that, that, no, you don't get to ask charities to do things for free, that you hire social enterprises to do this work at the same rates you would pay a for-profit. It's not about your legal entity. Um, so we have a very robust uh, commercial arrangement with them. And uh, we continue to snowball that. So we're now working with Ikea to roll that same model out to other charities across the country. Mm. So it's very gratifying in that we sort of use Toronto as a test bed for uh, people and planet related initiatives with Ikea. And then uh, it, it, and we can help the, our cousins that do similar work to us uh, across the country. That's, um, boy, that, that's a wonderful story. Um, for both sides um, and a wonderful outcome for so many. So, but what, what happens then? So you, you've got this furniture coming in again, you've yep. got this incredible turnaround. Uh, you only have, what is it about 20 families in the, a day that are, yeah. how do you select? Do you sell? Do you gift? Nope. Do you, how does nope, it all it's, work? So yeah, to my business friends, I simply say, um, we run a picky junking company and we provide, run a furniture retailer where we give the furniture away for free. Okay. So the flow of goods that we pick up every day, so we usually have between four and five trucks out on the road, going to businesses and households who have the problem of what do I do with my furniture, mm -hmm. my home goods, my microwaves, et cetera, that comes back into the showroom and we've organized the facility here in Etobicoke, uh, to, uh, as a showroom where all the desks are in one area, the dining room tables are another, mattresses are another. And the families that are coming in every day are matched up with a volunteer and they have 45 minutes to go into that showroom and build a home that speaks to them. 
So this isn't take it. This is like we've, we, the charity, have decided what you get. Choice has been a very important part of how the charity works. So if that family, there's a pink sofa on the, on the floor and they love pink, they take it. It's their home. All the furniture that they select is theirs at no charge. Uh, that furniture is then organized into the delivery area to be delivered in the following day. You know, when I say 20, that's when everything's perfect. We're swimming in furniture. The aisles are tight. There's enough furniture that, you know, the 20th family that comes in has a reasonable selection to build a home from. Okay. But it's seasonal. In February, nobody wants to move. Nobody wants to downsize. Nobody wants to go shopping for furniture. So we have to ratchet that down. So it's always a, a balancing act of furniture in, furniture out, and always managing that. An average family is leaving with uh, between 20 and 25 items of goods to actually assemble into a home that uh, we've got that data for nearly a decade. Uh, we've been monitor monitoring those things. So if there's more goods coming into the organization, we're able to amp up the appointments so more families uh, can get access. So we're always trying to, our, you know, our throwaway line is we're always trying to help more people better. That the mix of goods that we're receiving, uh, if they're brand new, they go straight on the floor. We don't resell the goods we're given. Right. So, so one last operational um, question, Dan. So, I mean, you said 20 to 25 pieces. Some can be furniture, some can obviously be mattress and linens. How do they get at home? We provide the other side as we our social enterprise of delivery service. So unlike the social enterprise on the pickup side, right. we provide a at cost. So we do a full cost analysis every year. And it's just the cost of getting the our truck, our team, our insurance, our gas uh, out. And about two-thirds of the agencies of the families that we see uh, are covering that cost on the behalf of the family. Dan Kershaw, Executive Director, Furniture Bank. Um, it's amazing how fast our time goes. Yes, it is. It is. Was just, um, I, you know what? I, 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 as I said it off the top, I, I just so enjoyed your your talk at the University of Toronto, and I so enjoyed having you as a guest today. And I think there's one other lesson, um, not just for students who are in the room or or or, or people who are listening. Um, to finish off with, Sir Ken Robinson, he, he wrote about being in your element and yeah, being, finding my element. Yeah, just that that it's it's that pathway where where, where passion and um, skill set meet, and 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 moving from one to two three years in a in a role to to ten plus and still hyper enthusiastic. I, I think you're just it's a you great were. story on its own. Yeah, no, I, Ken Robinson, I've been following for years. And yes, the, I did find my element. And uh, I have many, many years to go uh, to end furniture poverty across this country because there's plenty of goods that can get passed back into the community. Uh, and that's what we're trying to do here at Furniture Bank. Dan, thanks so much for your time today. Well, thank you, Ken.